Father, thank you for tonight. Pray you bless our time as we look into the book of Hebrews, guide our study. Uh, we love you very much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 14. In the days of his flesh, speaking of Jesus, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered, and having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So, in your notes, number one, in the days of his flesh, that's a phrase, that's a title for the block of time that the infinite life of Jesus was divided into two. So if you, if you see Jesus as um, without beginning, always existed, infinite, uh, never created, you go back in time as far as you want, Jesus existed with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. And you go into the future, as far as you want, Jesus will be there. So he is eternal on both in both directions, without beginning, without end. And in the middle, there's this little parenthesis where he was almighty, infinite, creator, God, and then there it's in the flesh. He emptied himself of all that he was as God, set it aside, hung it up like a, clo- a coat in a closet, and became flesh like you and I with all the weakness and frailties that you and I have. He had zero advantage over us. The only difference was that he had no sin nature. And, uh, and why was that? He had no earthly father. Our sin nature is passed down f- from the father. I looked at my kids and I was pretty sure they inherited it all from their mother. <laughs> but uh, our sin nature, that which we inherited all the way back to Adam, came from the Father. Jesus had no earthly father, an earthly mother uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit, so he was born without a sin nature, that natural inclination. Uh, the first words out of my kids' mouth was angry, mine. Uh, it's like, well, where'd that come from? So we all have it. Jesus was not born with a sin nature, but he became like us in every detail of his life. Sometimes I just sit and think about that. God becoming flesh. God like me, experiencing everything I experience, being born, being weak, being tired, being discouraged, being depressed. He went through all of that, just like I do. Number two in your notes, during this time, Jesus was just like us in every way, except that he did not have a sin nature. Uh, He got irritated. One time he was so tired, he sent the disciples ahead to get hamburgers at mcdonald's and he stayed behind he got sad grieved depressed everything that we do he felt all of it without exception number three jesus had no extra prayer power because of prayer power because he was the second person of the trinity he did have extra power because he was righteous so he was heard because of his piety. So I've used the term prayer power regularly. Sometimes I'll say horsepower. And uh, there are people on the planet Earth who at some point sense 
prayer began who I would say have a hundred horsepower. That is, when they pray, God works. Their prayer has an incredible amount of power. Elijah was a man like us. Uh, James says, and he prayed fervently that it would not rain, and it did not rain. He prayed fervently that it would rain, and it rained. He was a man just like us, and obviously he had great influence with God when he prayed. So Jesus prayed uh, with supplication, with tears, and he was heard because of his piety or his righteousness. So what that says about Jesus is just as true about you and I, you and I. So we have various factors in our life that determine whether God listens to our prayers or whether he doesn't, whether we have one horsepower or whether we have a hundred, whether we accomplish a lot or a little. In fact, there's some people that the Bible says that God doesn't listen to their prayers at all. He doesn't even hear them. And there's also people whom it says that their prayer is an abomination to God. And so we don't want to get there. If you're interested in this topic, I preached a number of years ago a sermon series called The Dirty Dozen. And it was 12 reasons why God doesn't answer our prayers. 12 things that we can control uh, about our life. I did that series because I got so, so super frustrated uh, trying to talk people into coming to prayer and nobody would come to prayer. Not nobody would, not a lot didn't come to prayer. And I would just nag, 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 nag. And my spiritual gift of nagging is fairly well developed. And so I thought, surely it should be producing better results than I'm getting as effectively and as thoughtfully as I was nagging people to come to prayer. And so I began studying this topic, and I came to the conclusion that we have this sense inside of us of whether God's really listening or not. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of talking on a cell phone. I don't talk on a cell phone anymore because mine died. I fell in the ocean this last week, and uh, my phone was in my pocket, and it's no longer working. But I'll get a new one here one of these days. So talking on the cell phone, and, and then all of a sudden you have this thought, I don't think anybody's listening to me. Hello? Ha, there's nobody there. So once you come to that conclusion that nobody's on the other end, you got cut off, how long do you keep talking? Not very long. Why? Because you're not a fool. You don't talk to the air. You talk to a person. So I believe that when God doesn't listen to our prayers, we in our spirit sense that. There's something in us that knows that God's listening or not listening. So if God's not listening to your prayers, you may not consciously come to that conclusion and say, I don't think God's listening to me. You do sense it in your spirit. So how uh, motivated are you to pray? I can talk and nag and preach and scold and... Maybe you'd come if I paid you money, but you're not inclined to want to come because you know that nothing's going to happen when you do pray. So better than not praying is to figure out what the reasons are that keep God from answering your prayer and fix those. So I'll just give you a couple of them. And your next thing in your notes, there are numerous reasons why God doesn't answer our prayers. Numerous reasons why God in the sermon series identified 12 of them. Hebrews 5, 7, he offered Jesus up both prayers and supplications. By the way, it's interesting, uh, both prayers and supplications suggesting that there's different kinds of prayers. With loud crying and tears, the one able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his piety. Psalms eighteen forty one. they cried for help, but there was none to save. 
even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. He did not answer them. I don't know if you've ever thought about your prayer life, your prayer power. How much influence do you have with God? And what could you do to increase that? Proverbs 127, when your dread comes like a storm, your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me. But I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they'll not find me. So in the context of that passage, so if we were to say, why doesn't God answer? Well, this particular one is that we don't pray unless we have a problem. So we pretty much ignore God, go along and, until we have a problem. Then when we have a problem, we say, help! And that's what he says here. When your dread comes, then they will call. But I will not answer. So God's not into being a vending machine. He's not into being simply a rescuer of our problems. And he is into relationship. He loves us. He wants our time. Uh, and he has promised to answer our prayers if we spend time with him and seek him diligently and not just come when we have a problem. Psalm sixty-six, eighteen: If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. The Lord will not hear. So we fix that one quite easily uh, with 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So whenever I uh, sit down to pray, I get my iPad out to pray down through everybody in the church. At the top of there, I have several verses that I go through to make sure that I'm where I ought to be in my praying so that I'm not wasting my time uh, talking on the cell phone when nobody's listening. So one of the verses is 1 John 1, 9. If I regard wickedness, iniquity in my heart, he will not hear me. Proverbs 28, 9. He who turns away his ear from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. So putting that in modern terms, if you don't read the Bible, uh, you don't have much prayer with power with God. I can put it in a kind of a, uh, grass way if God's saying this if you don't listen to me I don't listen to you and so it's a it's a throttle thing in other words how much power do you want read is a verse a day going to do it I don't think so how about two verses so how much do I want to read well it depends how much power do I want how much do I want God to listen and so the Word of God is critically important into my prayer life. The more I read, uh, the more God answers, the more God works. First um, Peter 3, 7, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with the weaker vessel, since she is a woman, show her honor, the fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That word hindered there, the Greek word, is a military word. And so back in the days that they fought wars during the time of the Apostle Paul and Peter, they didn't have cell phones and they didn't have radios. But they did discover that uh, an army could have a great advantage if they could split in two and attack the enemies from two different directions. But the problem was without a radio and without a cell phone, they, uh, often they didn't coordinate, coordinate very well. So what they would do is they would have these dudes that were pretty fast runners run back and forth and send messages. 
Uh, and then the enemies discovered this, and so they would send somebody out there and shoot those guys. And so the runner got knocked off. Well, they couldn't coordinate, and so the army was then able to take on each of the smaller ones and win easily. Well, the word for shoot the messenger is the word that's used right here, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That is, they get knocked off before they get to the throne. Uh, and I would guess that that probably is, applies to wives as much as husbands, just in a little different way. In other words, in our marriage, if we're not doing what we ought to do, then our prayers aren't going to get answered. So I know quite a few husbands who probably should go fishing when prayer time comes because not much is happening when they pray because of the way they uh, treat their wives. John fifteen seven. If, if, that means this is conditional. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. So we abide in Christ, that means we seek him, we spend time with him, we love him, and his words abide in us, that means we read the Bible, we read the Bible every day, every day, every day. Then the promise, whatever you wish, whatever you pray, it'll be done. Number four, you know, it's Jesus grew in character as a man, just like we do. So he was born with zero character, like you were, as a baby. Babies are not born with character, they're born with a sin nature, Jesus didn't have one, but he still had zero character, and he grew in character, and the tool that God used to develop his character was suffering. Was suffering. Hebrews 5, 8 through 9, they'll fill those blanks in. You know, if you would think of somebody growing in character without suffering, uh, you would think that Jesus would have been the person. If anybody was going to grow rapidly in character just because of that's the way he was, it would be Jesus, but uh, he grew in character be, uh, by suffering. Hebrews 5, 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. He learned obedience. So even Jesus in the flesh had to learn obedience, and he learned it from his suffering. And having been made perfect, that his character was developed fully, and that's the goal of God. We, uh, the word perfect is applied to us almost a dozen times in the New Testament. That word to become perfect is he is perfect. Uh, if we rejoice when we encounter various trials, the result is we'll, we'll be, we will become perfect. And so he having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Hebrews 2.10, For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. To perfect to bring to full maturity and character Jesus through suffering. Hebrews 7, 28, For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect, made perfect forever. Number five, character growth is God's main goal for each one of us, and he uses trials in our life just like he did in the life of Jesus. So I could ask a little quiz question of you. I said, What's the, about the only thing in life more important than my kids and grandkids? My tools. <laughs> uh, my tools, not really. I just tell my kids that. 
when they take them out. The grandkids take my tools out and take them into their fort, and I can't find them. I go look in their fort. And the other day, I went and looked at their fort. And there's like a dozen of them all stacked up in their fort. And I told him, I said, now you know, to Grandpa, his tools are more important than your grandma. No, I'm just fooling, just fooling, but I just want you to get the point. Don't take my fo- tools out in your fort. Tools are something you use to accomplish something with, and God uses tools to make me into the image of Christ. And his primary tool is sufferings. He brings them, causes them, allows them sovereignly, putting them at the right point in our life, at the right time, to the right degree, to shape and mold us like clay. He is the potter, we are the clay. And he uses sufferings to make us into the image of Christ. If Jesus needed to go through trials to grow, who are we to think that we can escape them in this life? So you can destroy, you can totally short-circuit God's efforts to make you like Jesus by grumbling, complaining, and whining and saying, oh, I thought God loved me. Why are these things happening to me? And they happen because that's how we grow. James 1, 2, you know this one. You've memorized it, I'm sure, by now. Considered all joy. Considered all joy. That means you rejoice. You don't grumble. You don't complain. You don't whine. When you encounter various trials. Knowing this, this is why you do that. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect and complete doesn't mean sinless, but it does mean grown up, mature, like Christ in character. 1 Peter 1, 6. In this you greatly rejoice. So Peter's sort of uh, presuming here that they are doing that. Even though now for a little while, I mean, how long is your life really? For a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ because of your character. 1 Peter 5.10, after you have suffered for a little while, a little while, life is not that long. God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Sufferings that he brings into our life will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. Romans 5.3, and not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. Yay, tribulations. Thank you, Jesus. Knowing, it's always on the basis of what we know. It's not because it's fun knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. Proven character, that, of like, that is like Jesus. First Peter 4, 12. Beloved, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. <laughs> Why me? How come this is happening to me? It's life. It's life. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. Because if you don't keep on rejoicing, there is no character growth. There is no character growth apart from our rejoicing and accepting it. Six, the key thing to remember when we go through trials is God planned it, so trust him, submit to his will. So when you grumble, when a trial comes, you're basically grumbling against God. You're basically saying, God doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't care about me. Um, And so we're telling God that he's not wise, he's not loving, he doesn't care about us. So 
So he planned it. He allowed it. He does it for our good, for our character growth. So rejoicing is what allows it to work its maximum effectiveness in us. 1 Peter 5, 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That means whatever, Lord, whatever you want to bring into my life, I accept and I will rejoice because I know you care for me. Romans 8, 28. We know, we know, we know, we know. It's amazing how many people don't know this. That God causes, God causes all things to work together for good. Good does not mean pleasant. It means character. I don't know how many times I've heard people quote that verse and say, I know something good's coming out of this. And I know where the way they're saying, they're talking about uh, Vacation, more money, something pleasant. That's not what the word means. It means character. God causes all things, every detail of our life to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. So his will is that we would be like Jesus in character and he uses trials to make it happen. Seven, a second key to re- is to rejoice when trials come. And if, and if you can't quite pull that one off, at least don't grumble. <clears throat> and if it just, you can't make yourself say, thank you, Lord, for the blown up car. Thank you that I lost my job. Thank you that uh, this or if you, I mean, if you, that ugh, you can't, just don't grumble. Uh, Philippians 2, do all things, all things, all things. Does that mean all? A-L-L, all means everything, right? All things, no exception, without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, whom whom you appear as lights in the world. When my father was alive, people would see me who had never met me before, and they would say, you're Delbert Duke's son, aren't you? I would say, I'm his oldest and his favorite. So why would they say that? Because I look like him. If, sh- if I show you a picture of him, you can immediately see the resemblance. So I was sitting on an airplane a number of years ago chatting with someone. And there's a lady and she said, you're a Christ follower, aren't you? I said, I am. What tipped you off? I don't remember what she said, but we had a great conversation. But this verse says, if we do all things without grumbling, we will appear to the world as a bright light. We will appear to the world as being perfect. There will be an an attractiveness about us simply on the basis of not grumbling because we live in that kind of culture where that's what everybody does. Um, and then 1 Corinthians 10, 9 again, let us not try the Lord as some did and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble as some did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as, exam- uh, uh, to them as an example. They were written for our instruction. Eight, the third thing we do, can do when trials come is to ask God for strength. So you've heard me say this before. I think you all heard that I'm, it looks like I'm cured from my Parkinson's. 
I don't have any more symptoms of Parkinson's left uh, this, this last week. And uh, the main thing that changed was I went on this diet January 1st for the purpose of losing weight in which I eliminated all sugar and all uh, basically grains out of my diet. And I don't know if that's what did it or if the prayers that people have been praying for me took hold or what the reason is, but I do know that I'm basically... Uh, so I can't blame falling in the ocean on my Parkinson's. In fact, I never went in the ocean when I had Parkinson's because I was too stumbly. And so I walked out there, cleared up to my waist, fishing up a storm, having a great time. <laughs> Fell in anyway. But uh, I would say this regularly. I never prayed and asked God to take away my Parkinson's. I only asked that he would give me the strength to manage it well um, and that he might be glorified by the way I lived with it uh, as being a witness for him. And so we like God to fix our life and to give us a trouble-free life, and he won't do that. That's what life is about. It's about character growth, and trials are what calls, cause character. So, But he will give me strength, and he will give me joy in spite of my trials, and he will give me peace, and he will give me wisdom. And if I have strength and joy and peace and wisdom, I can handle anything. And so bring them on. But if you don't have the strength, you don't have the joy, and you don't have the peace, then everything is a big deal in your life. Hebrews 4.15, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. He knows exactly what we're going through. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. That's where God the Father sits, on the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace. That's God's strength to help in time of need. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence and get strength as much as we want. Number nine, a fourth step when going through trials is set your mind on heaven. So four times Peter says, for a little bit, for a short time. And life is short. It's a blink of an eye, a vapor that's here for a minute and gone, and then we're going to be in heaven. And the more trials we go through and manage positively, the more like Christ we will be. And that's what we want. That's what we want. Colossians 3.2, set your mind on the things above. Set your mind, that means you choose what you think about. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on this earth. Hebrews 12.1, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the races set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy, the joy, the joy set before him, the joy that was coming up ahead, Endured the cross, despising the shame, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I had an individual say to me one time, you know, I don't really think that was such a big deal what Jesus did suffering on the cross. I said, why don't you consider that a big deal? Well, because he knew he was going to be resurrected and go to heaven. It was only like a few days away. Yeah, I guess that's true. If you have hope, positive expectation of a future event, it makes dealing with now so much easier. Well, that's exactly what I have. Uh, it isn't going to be that long. I'm going to be in heaven with my new glorified body, experiencing an unbelievably great life. Ten, a fifth and most powerful key to suffering with purpose is to remind ourselves and to anticipate greater and greater success and opportunity in ministry as God tests us to see if we are worthy of greater responsibility from Him. So the principle is God works 
through us. Everything he does in the world, he does through us. He doesn't do it through any other means. We are plan A, and that's the only plan there is. But he doesn't use uh, just anybody to do his work. He doesn't entrust just anybody uh, tasks that are going to advance his cause. He gives it to those who are tested, to those who are tested John 12, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. If it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And, if, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So to die, we die to self. It says if we want to save our life, that is have a great life, comfortable life, uh, lots of stuff, lots of things, no problems, no sickness. We'll be by ourselves with no fruit. But if we die to self, that is, we say, Lord, whatever, then we bear much fruit. Second Corinthians twelve nine. He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. Paul was going through a trial, and he prayed three times that God would take it out of his life. We don't know what it was. Some people say it was a wife. <laughs> uh, I think they're just uh, just. A, Angry husband probably said that at some point. Uh, but uh, he had a thorn in the flesh, and, and God said, no, I'm going to leave it there. My grace is sufficient for you. Power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. So whatever the thorn was, it fit under the category of an insult, a distress, a persecution, a difficulty, and God says, I'm leave it there. And Paul said, I'll rejoice in it because when I'm weak, I am strong. Amen.